You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a music tech PR firm. And we've got a special Music Tectonics for you today. It's a recording from one of our weekly Wednesday gatherings. We've been doing those ever since Friday the 13th in March, when South by Southwest was canceled. And we wanted to create opportunities for networking and learning and continuing the types of stuff we do at live music industry events and do them online. And so every Wednesday, pretty much every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, we do these events. And last week we had an incredible event uh, that was sort of a spinoff of the the show must be paused um, demonstration online, uh, the Blackout Tuesday, all the things that have been happening in response to the murder of George Floyd and thinking about what could all of us do in response to fighting racism, um, seeing that George Floyd's murder is really, and just police brutality is the tip of the iceberg when it comes to racism. And uh, when you look at systemic racism and its impact on music and tech, there's lots of things we can talk about. So uh, last week on Weekly Wednesday, we did a, a session called Black Boxes Are Not Enough, a reference to the fact that a lot of people did recognize what was happening in the world and show their protest against racism, against black people, against uh, police brutality by posting a black box on their Instagram or other social media. But we wanted to get a little deeper in the conversation. So we invited three amazing guests for a panel, did less networking than we normally do on Wednesday, but did have Q&A. I bring you this recording from Weekly Wednesday. Black boxes are not enough. Uh, What we can do before and after George Floyd in, in the music tech space. So check it out, um, hope you enjoy. So again, this is Weekly Wednesday uh, from Music Tectonics. I'm Dimitri Vitz. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We're a music tech PR firm, and we launched Music Tectonics as a conference in LA last October. Most of you in the room know this already. Um, and uh, uh, we don't know if the conference is gonna happen in October, because we don't know what's happening with this pandemic, but. Uh, but we definitely have uh, started doing a lot of online stuff ever since South by Southwest was canceled. Uh, we pivoted to uh, some of the meetups we had at South by Southwest. And every week we've been doing Wednesdays on different topics. We've done a mix of panels and networking um, on a wide variety of topics uh, just to continue to build community and help people meet each other, get business done and so forth. And uh, today's topic's a little bit different and it's probably gonna have a bit more of a, a panel and discussion focus than on a networking uh, meetup type of focus just because I think it merits a full conversation. Um, last Tuesday, uh, the show must be paused was launched as an opportunity for the music industry and then it turned into Blackout Tuesday with the whole society and all of all, pretty much internationally, worldwide. Uh, taking an opportunity to say, wait, let's not just do businesses as, as usual with the, the, the murder of George Floyd and all the recent um, awareness and protest, finally recognizing the, the depth and pervasiveness of racism in, in America against black people, against other people as well, people of color, indigenous people, but especially the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it was an opportunity to, to, for everybody to take a pause, but, but we didn't want to just take a pause. Um, uh, I think it was good for, for raising awareness and getting people to say, hold on, stop everything, let's, let's have a time to think. But uh, we wanna take it a step further and, and really dig into, so 
I believe that police brutality is the tip of the iceberg when it comes to racism, especially when it's on video. But now that we're all together with momentum around being aware and paying attention to what's going on there, we want to look at how racism uh, is affecting lives beyond just police brutality, beyond the, 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 the most extreme things you see, but the things that happen every day. And so that's why we're, we're doing this topic, Black Boxes Are Not Enough, Music Tech Before and After George Floyd. Um, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna jump in because we've got some amazing panelists. I'm gonna introduce them as we bring them into the conversation. So I'm gonna start broad brushstroke and, and, and we'll go through each person's perspective, but also get more and more focused in terms of where the action is. But let's start with some context. Tariq, I'm gonna start with you. For everyone who doesn't know, Tariq Moody is the Digital Director of Strategy and Innovation at Radio Milwaukee's 88.9, where he heads up 88.9 Labs, an accelerator that aims to make Milwaukee's tech scene more accessible and inclusive. He's the host of a popular radio show called Rhythm Lab Radio, many years. He also happens to be a culinary history buff. His favorite artist is Bjork, and he served as an officer in the Army Reserves for 14 years, his background. But really, this world of radio, music, tech, um, and, and tech accelerator is, is where he's operating a lot these days. Tariq, thanks for being here, my friend. Thank you, Dimitri. So I, I hate to start off in this way, um, but I just, I don't know where everybody in the room is. So I just want to, let, let's get, let's go there. Let's get, let's get the conversation going. Where do you, what do you see around racism in the music and tech spaces as we get a little more specific here? Um, well, that's a, that's a huge uh, question. Uh, it deserves a huge answer, but I try to uh, bring it in my perspective, what I've seen and observed in a historical fashion. If you think about just the music industry overall, um, all the all their wealth and all their growth is because of black music, black artists. If you think about it, you know, you know, all these labels making money. I mean, hip hop kind of helped set the, these labels on a nice path of wealth. And you know, and but as far as giving back and all the contracts over the years, people have been complaining about they, the the artists have not been compensated fairly for that stuff. So. You look at it on the music industry as a history of right there. Then you go into the tech side, you hear the stories of Facebook, Googles, and all these companies showing their reports of diversity, and it hasn't changed since the inception of their companies, right? You have less than 1% or the, the black employees are there are leaving or, or upset because they, they see the race. Riot Games, even though they had a great initiative, like we're going to do $2 million in community, but they already had an issue with a, a, a executive vice president saying racist comments, right? So the industry is, you know, the tech industry is, is, is saying and doing the right things, but right now internally, they haven't really done anything to uh, change the narrative in this issue. Um, and another good example I like to bring up, I brought with you before is SoundCloud. Like SoundCloud success is owed to hip hop black artists, right? I don't think SoundCloud would be here if black artists did not adopt that platform, right? Black Twitter, you know, all these platforms, there's been a study saying that black consumers, black people consume more tech than any other group, but when it comes to representation on the other side, they're not there. So that is the, the I guess, the biggest issue for me when it comes to this conversation. So, so representation on the on the on the kind of company side, the tech side, the the creator side, the business side, the decision maker side. That's what you're saying. Yeah, because at the end of the day, they're making products that people that look like me use, and then, and sometimes they don't really consider people like me in their product decisions, right? 
Um, and it's not just having employees, but having leaders, having investors, having people really input on these tech products that are being used mostly a lot of people by black people. So um, that is that's to me is where the, the issue with me in this space is the problem. You know. All right, cool. Well, I want to get into some more specifics there and flesh it out. But let's let's bring a Keisha into the conversation. Keisha Howard is the founder of Sugar Gamers, a gaming and tech community that creates opportunities for the inclusion of underrepresented demographics within all facets of geek culture. She's the co-founder of a digital marketing agency called Blaze Breakers, and she's the co-owner and head, market, head of marketing for Live CGI, a virtual production platform that converts live content into CGI. That's a lot of cool stuff, a lot of different positions to come from. Uh, Keisha, Keisha, let's broaden this out from your experience in the tech and gaming fields. What, how, how would you help us kind of kick off the context of what we're talking about here? I mean, it's all interconnected. And, you know, at the end of the day, the art and music, you know, as, as Tariq had mentioned before, come from uh, such a diverse group of people uh, and specifically, you know, black people. And when I am navigating through the, the tech world and we're looking for different music to, to put here and there, um, it's interesting how in video games we see all the you know, black music, black dances, and um, these artists aren't getting credit for it, or we don't know where some of these things come from, but these companies are benefiting from the eyes, the energy, the the fun that has been created by these artists. So it's like, it's been very important to me to just understand these industries comprehensively uh, so I can navigate what where the the breakdowns are and where the opportunities are for um, different people that are off, often overlooked in this space. So, I mean, there's there's so much to talk about here. <laughs> it's a huge conversation, um, but just seeing it from a different angle, there's still the same sorts of issues that plague this space, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting from your 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 kind of world in the in kind of the gaming and the geek geek space. Um, it's it's interesting to just put that lens on because I mean Tariq mentioned something about some particular DIY platforms being driven by a lot of black users. How how does that play out in, in gaming? Um, an example of this, uh, a really quick easy example of this is Fortnite. Uh, a lot of these uh, young players get to to play Fortnite, and you see uh, the the avatar that the player uses doing black dances that are that are absolutely coming from from black musicians, black artists on YouTube, right? And Fortnite and Epic are gajillion dollar companies. They make massive profits and they can't take a moment to give acknowledge and credit to the people that they're taking these ideas from. And after probably Fortnite had been out for quite some time and they had like many complaints, instead of like really supporting black artists, they just stopped uh, you know, taking those dances and that music. And, um, you know, but as we're, we're moving forward, we see uh, the, the Travis Scott concert in the same sort of area, but like, you know, uh, video games can be a, a platform that's, right? Because you're not necessarily looking to listen to music, you're looking to engage in an experience. So if, you know, black artists, black musicians are acknowledged and, and used more in that space, that could really sort of 
set uh, an additional opportunity for exposure um, for people's creativity. So, but like Fortnite is a huge one because it just gets so many views. You, you think of it as a video game, but it really is a virtual space that people are engaging in heavily in a way that we haven't, that's pretty unprecedented. And we are really, really paying attention now that we're living in a pandemic and we can't go to concerts and we can't, you know, do all the fun things that we normally do to enjoy music and concerts. So like we're doing it inside of games and it's, it's really interesting, like who really benefits from this whole, you know, sort of process. Uh, you know, it, it's virtual spaces and video games, again, just really can set the tone of how we're moving forward and giving opportunities to people of color and making this a more equitable sort of uh, space. But it's, it's, again, huge conversation to have. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Tariq kind of brought up this idea around representation. Um, and uh, in, in leadership positions and decision-making positions, you're bringing up this idea about credit and maybe compensation in terms of when black art is used and uh, just giving some credibility and acknowledgement. And that's- Can we start there? <laughs> I mean, it's infuriating and enraging that that is like a minimal ask, you know? Like, can we start there? Uh, I, the way that people consume music is so much different, uh, so much different than it was. Like we're not buying CDs, we're not really paying for downloads, we're, we're experiencing and, and exploring new music through apps like Pandora or Spotify. So, you know, to get discovered is really important right now, to get exposure, to get acknowledgement, to get, you know, any sort of spotlight put on you in a way that's that's memorable is imperative for new artists. So, you know, it's enraging that acknowledgement and credit is difficult for these massive companies. Yeah, awesome, great, thank you. Thanks for bringing that in, Keisha. We'll, we'll circle back around. I wanna bring Arabian Prince into the conversation as well. And then we have our full team here ready to, to tackle all these issues. Arabian Prince is a songwriter, a rapper, a producer, DJ, and technologist. Arabian's best known for pioneering West Coast electro music and being a founding member of the rap group NWA. His passion for technology led him to create a 3D animation and special effects studio in the 90s, working with companies like Saban Entertainment and Fox. He's a brand ambassador for music tech companies, and he launched Innovate Next, an innovation incubator to empower and provide mentoring to young inventors who could use a boost. It's also Arabian's birthday today, everybody. Happy birthday to Arabian Prince. How you doing, Arabian? Um, I'm good, man. Just responding to text messages. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you're loved. That's a good thing. Arabian, you come in as, as an artist yourself and as someone who's bringing access uh, to tech, to kids and, and other youth, and also being involved with investment and being a brand ambassador more. Tell us what you're seeing. Why don't you just dive into what your kind of perspective of this moment of time is as it relates to this issue in, in music and tech? Well, like right now, because of all of the things that are going on in the world, you know, my focus is to make sure that this next generation of youth is represented. They're doing a great job of representing themselves out with the marches and the protests and things like that. And then you see the big companies, you know, throwing the dollars at this. And some are doing it for just causes. Some are doing it just to tick the box and go, look what we did. We just gave them $100 million to Black Lives Matter, not understanding what the money is going to do. So 
my goal is to make sure that during this time of awakening, that all the money that's being spent, all of the resources that are now attainable that were never attainable for people of color, we've got to make sure that it's done the right way instead of this, everybody jumping on the bandwagon right now. And then a few months later, people forget and go back. I'm like telling companies, like, if you're on, you're on this train and the train is moving at a thousand miles an hour and you can't jump off. Cause if you jump off, you're going to die this time, you know, before you were able to jump on and jump off at the next stop and pat yourself on the back. But you know, now it, you got to be on for the long haul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think I want to narrow in on 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 getting more specific um, around what our community of music tech uh, startups, innovators, collaborators, labels, all that kind of stuff can do. But I want to um, start a little bit broader just real quick and start to define how we think about these categories of the experience of racism. We talked about representation. We talked about credit, talked about compensation. You're now talking about like what kind of social uh, action, where this money is going to, what, what do we put it into? So let's name what the categories are. I'm thinking about um, things like access to education, which you, you work on as well, Arabian. Uh, you know, something we haven't talked about. I mean, Tariq talked a little bit about representation. What that actually means is people being passed over for jobs, right? Let's be honest, right? Like whether it's blatant discrimination or incomplete hiring pools or people not being aware of opportunities or blatant discrimination, uh, whether it's because of blunt racism or because of per perceptions about what people are prepared to be able to do skill sets and that sort of thing. You got contractual shenanigans, you might say, um, like what, I don't know what to call it. Like what do the contracts look like? How are they structured? Are they structured differently for one group of people or another? Representation and leadership. What what other categories? What are we missing in terms of naming what some of the harmful effects are of racism to Black people in society and in, in music tech? Let's are there ones that we're missing that we can start to talk about things that we can address around? Yeah, there's there's a lot missing because if you really really think about it, one of the biggest issues, and you mentioned earlier about education, is the fact that we as a Black race aren't even educated educated on what the jobs are out there that we can apply for or go for because they just don't even think about us. So it's not like we even know and the schools don't teach it. The parents don't teach it. And even in the gaming space, you know, think about the gaming space. There's over 100 jobs in gaming and we don't know, you know, unless somebody comes out and says, hey, you can go be a game tester. You can go in esports and be a shoutcaster. There's so many. You can be a producer. You can do music for games. There's so many things to do, but no one knows how to get in. So that's one thing is education. Um, the second thing I think that's very, very important, getting back to kind of the weirdness, and it's, it's almost weird at fault to a little bit of a degree, because when I talk to companies, there are companies that look to me as like an idea guy. Like, okay, so how do we go about this? Who can we use for this? And I'm like, oh, you should go get this guy right here. This is the best guy for your company, for what you need. And they first thing they do, and I can tell, is they look at what the person looks like. Now, this could even be a black company. A black company could look at, I can, you know, <laughs> some guy who's overqualified in hip hop that can go help run your company and take it to a billion dollar company, but they would rather go get a guy that's wearing a suit and tie because that's, oh, that looks more like a CEO. But the guy knows nothing about what you guys want. 
but because he went to college and he has a tie, you're going to hire him and have him run the company instead of the guy who's overly qualified, get past the look, get past how they dress, get past even how they act, as long as they can get the job done. So we got to just wipe all the racism out, wipe out all the stereotypes, and really get to the fundamental thing of what people can do for you, period. Like, if this person's qualified, they should get the job, no matter what the race is, no matter what, what you know, just give them a shot. And I'm really, really trying to help push that. Yeah. Keisha, you look like you're about to jump out of your chair. Were you about to say something? It's been interesting. In this last 11 years, navigating this space uh, as an as a entrepreneur and, and going through the, the many processes in which I've like absorbed racism and like arriving to these moments in which we have, we're having these conversations. One of the things I just think about is just the time lost and all the, all the opportunities missed because of preconceived notions that I have no control over when people look at me or people that, or people that look like me, right? And it's sort of opened this, this little door in my heart that's filled with like anger and hurt. And, uh, you know, just like what Arabian Prince was saying, like um, walking, you know, like being qualified being overly qualified, but then being overlooked because of something that you were born with. And you can't undo that. You can work so hard. You can be so talented. You can do all the things that you're supposed to follow all the directions and be excellent. But then you have to deal with a preconceived notion about race and gender that'll completely dismantle a trajectory for a career. And then you have to think about the generations of individuals that have had to endure that. And like, where do we even grow trust to, to move forward? Like believing that people are really actually serious about dismantling racism. It, like I wanna trust that we're going to progress to positive change. But you know, like I have a friend who's a musician and I have her work with me and she's an amazing black artist, but she doesn't fit a very black, you know, rapper category. You know, she 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 sings, she raps and she she likes rock music. She she's in in several different genres, but the only time she ever even gets success is if she's doing rap or if she's doing something that looks hip hop or black. And that's the only time that she can like progress through the door in any meaningful manner. So, you know, like everything that um, he was just saying was just like kind of in a very new way for me, triggering. <laughs> and that's crazy, right? Like I never thought about it because I existed in a world where I just dealt with the fact that no matter how excellent I am, I'm always going to have to wait in line behind people that are much less qualified than me and like what do you do with that <laughs> for years and like how how can i help the next generation of individuals that come after this moment after 2020 and it's you know that's what the jumping out of my seat was it's just the emotional impact of this conversation is very deep yeah um to like have your creativity appropriate it but not be compensated or acknowledged for generations is just, it makes me kind of sick. 
Um, like, what do we do with that? Like, you know, like Arabian Prince was saying, it's just like, it's not even, we can't even really start at like, you know, the racist part. We have to start at socialization and education of our communities of people of color so they can be exposed to the opportunities they can, even, they can get in the first place. Like I talk to, you know, young kids all the time and they don't even consider the fact that the music that they want to do is also a component that can be added to a technological product. Yeah. No, no. Anyways, I'm gonna get off my soapbox because I know Tariq got something to say. <laughs> yeah, um, it's education on that level. There's also education on the, the corporate and companies and people in those spaces who are being, uh, be honest, lazy, you know, it's great to write a check, but if you're not willing to put yourself in uncomfortable situation, uncomfortable conversation, and actually talk to people instead of painting a broad stroke of what black people are, which I see a lot of in music tech space, gaming space, um, that's not going to change. For example, I had a conversation with a program director at a radio station, not to be named, about how come you don't have more black people working at your station? Like he goes, it's hard to find them. And I'm like, that's just lazy. That's just pure, utter lazy. I did a game festival. I found all these amazing people because I did the work, right? If you want to, if you're, if your companies are serious, you have to do the work. You have to go out and be wanting to do this. You have the will. Like I look at our city and I, I made a comment about our city, Milwaukee is like, they, they got, they got the bucks. They got the deer district. They got the DNC. They did the work, but our city's known as the most segregated, one of the worst places for black people. They don't want to do the work. They want to push it on the rug, talk about their cool little restaurants until the companies and the people behind the scene really want to change. They have to change themselves internally, have to educate themselves. You can't keep asking like people out there in communities, like, what should I do every time that George Floyd happens? You know, was it who said it? some comedian, a Kamal Bell, if you want black people educated, treat them like a college, pay them. To educate you then if you don't can if you don't want if you want to know more um but i just feel there's a laziness going on and i feel like people want to hopefully this i feel certain companies want to do their thing and just wait and buy their time because they know last time it happened it took two months it goes away and we can go back to normal business um yeah to me it's just honestly the industry has to have a will and a serious will to change their internal thing they can do all the external conversations and all that till they look at their board to look at their how they make their products how they design their their user interface all that has to be considered so that's that's where i stand thank you thank you so so those last three comments from each of you make me think about something which is about building a network and what i heard from arabian when you were talking about people don't even know what jobs exist right there's a hundred different types of jobs you can have in video gaming so the question is, if you're on the side of the business that you know about those jobs, how you extend your network, do the work as Tariq says, how do you do, and I'm not asking you guys to answer this question, I'm putting it out there as a call based on what you're saying. How does, how do, how do the, those of us who are listening to this conversation build a network so that we're opening doors, creating those opportunities for those conversations? And how do we listen to Keisha saying, I'm at the center of this. I am do, I've been working for over a decade on helping deal with inclusion in gaming and geek culture and technology. 
And right now, I still am thinking about the missed opportunities I've had, even though I'm, you look at Keisha, you see she's a beacon of light. She is trying to create opportunities, open doors. She went from focusing on women in gaming to focusing on inclusivity across the board. And here's this beacon of light who says to, to us that are listening right now, what do you think it feels like to know you're getting passed up on opportunities just because white people have been socialized to assume that somebody with brown or black skin is not as good as blank, blank, blank. And so I, for me, my part of my takeaway here is to always be questioning myself, to say, keep myself in check. Is that society talking in my head to say, oh, I made an assumption. They're in hip hop, so blah, blah, blah. A, maybe they're not on hip hop. B, forget the blah, blah, blah. Meet the person. Find the, per find the person that's inside there. So Arabian, you were going to say something. I'm just going to say that how we have to do it, like us, you know I mean? We have to put our foot on the gas and go to these companies like I'm doing with my partners, like the Microsofts and the Intels. I'm going at them. Like, hey, this is what we need to do. This is how we need to do it. And, and here's the crazy thing. So I'll often tell people this. It's a quick story and hopefully it doesn't bore anybody here. Two things. One, I've been getting pulled over by the police since I was like 13 years old. I went to Catholic school. I used to wear like salt and pepper pants and a red tie and a green sweater. I mean, that's, that was a uniform from Catholic school. And I was getting pulled over by the police then. So I know that there's racism, right? And I think I've been pulled over maybe 200, more than 200 times in my life and only gotten one ticket. So that should tell you something. But my, my, my point is this, if we're going to do it, we've got to get these companies to understand that they need to work with people who understand instead of just trying to figure it out. Like most of the companies say, oh, well, we hired an agency that's going to take on this initiative for us and we give them a bunch of money and then they go out and do something and they make a video that shows us working with a bunch of people of color and black people. And, and now we got a video that showed that we did some for some kids and that's it. It's done. Like there's nothing else after that until maybe the next year. So what I've been trying to do is, like I said, work with these companies and bringing these kids in, bringing these people in to show them what jobs there are. Like, hey, let's go to Microsoft, walk around Microsoft and see all of the jobs. Let's go to Google and see all the hundreds of jobs that are there that you can learn, that you can study for, that you can, you know, pick up and maybe go work for them. And I think that's part of the play. And the second part of the play is this. Um, we as a black community cannot be or stay segregated because something I'm seeing that's kind of dangerous for us is okay let's do the black this center and it's only black kids in that center that's positive but it's negative because we need white people in there with the black people so they can stop being racist and they can see that the black people are just as smart as the white people and then the black people can learn something from the white people and the white people can learn something from the black people you know what I'm saying you got to kind of make it so that we're just people at the end of the day we're all just trying to be people so we need to segregate on certain things, but then we need to kind of bring other people in to show that we aren't the boogeyman. We aren't like, I'm not scary. I'm just as smart as you. I can do the same things that you can do. I'm just a person. When you strip everything away, I'm a person just like you. So we got a long way to go, but it's everybody in this room who has some influence. If we all kind of chip away at one little bit of influence to the companies that we know or the people we know, we can get this done. Hey Tariq, mind if I pull you in? We we were trying to talk about some of the um, 
some of the different categories of what this appears like. And I'm curious to ask you from the work that you do with your accelerator, your hackathons, things like that. I mean, you already mentioned, look, if you do the work, you can bring in a diverse group of people. You can bring black people into tech uh, accelerators and, and innovation. We, so we talked about access to education, building a network. I mentioned contracts. You talked about representation. Are there other categories that our community today can kind of be thinking about in terms of where else this exists and where else to be thinking about how to change behavior and decisions that actually influence changing systemic racism? Um, pretty sure there is a lot. I mean, I've been focused mainly on the representation part because I feel like that that does a lot for people. Um, just to give you an example, like I, I told you uh, last week in a conversation, like I used to play tennis when I was a kid. You know, only black player was uh, Arthur Ashe. And I remember I get making fun of and like, why is this black kid playing tennis? And all of a sudden you fast forward, you see Serena and Venus take over and win. Now, you, now it's normal. Now, like young black girls, it's normal for a young black girl to be, to play tennis. And now you see others coming in this, into that sport and dominating that sport. And I truly believe in the power of that. And I really, at my core, seeing that, that can do a lot of good to have it just it's, it's kind of like what arabian said we got to show these young kids the opportunities out there to see that hey dude arabian oh like when i brought Arabian from milwaukee people were like oh arabian does gaming arabian does this that is they were like blown away they know that there's opportunities beyond just hip-hop and basketball and all this kind of stuff and i truly believe that is my passion to make sure that our youth sees what's out there because as my experience in tech is because my parents scraped and, and saved for a computer for me. I learned programming at age 10. My mom saw I was passionate about it, sent me a computer science camp, programming camp in South Carolina in 1984. And all the opportunities I've gotten in my life because of that experience. And I want to make sure I was exposed to that that allowed me to be where I am today. And I want to make sure that people that look like me are exposed to that. So that's, I could say there's plenty of other categories, but this to me is crucial for our youth, uh, crucial for people that look like me to have those opportunities and get that exposure. Cool. You know, exp exposure is another one, I guess we could say it's sort of like access to education, but it's even broader. It's, it's just being aware of what the possibilities are um, in a way. Um, I'm thinking about the, the music tech startups that are listening right now. Are, I, I, they might be curious about, well, what specifically could I be doing right now? And I see all three of you are specifically creating programs to address this directly. Uh, you know, we've got an we've got an accelerator, we've got a community, we've got a, a kind of incubator. Each of you has something that specifically you're doing. So I guess music tech startups can look at like, how do I share my expertise and open the door, create those nodes on a network to do what Arabian's talking about where white people are getting exposure to black people and black people are getting exposure not only to white people, but to what jobs are out there, what resources, what skills, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I wanna flip it a little bit too, because we touched on this and, and Keisha, you talked about it with about dancing in, in, in the kind of the video game and YouTube, YouTube world and so forth. There's this conversation about the outsized role that black culture has had on in America, but certainly in the music industry. I'm curious to talk a little bit more about what does addressing the lack of acknowledgement for that, uh, 
what, what are the possibilities there? I mean, we talked about just giving credit where credit is due. That's one thing. Compensation is another one. Do any of you have thoughts about sort of like, what does it look like in a future, a future version of America where their credit is actually given, where, where, where people acknowledge, look at all the language, art, music, consumption, all these things that come from black people that we value, like the, the fashion, everything, the boxes that black people get put on and white people are like, oh yeah, that's cool. Oh yeah, that's cool. That's acceptable. I like that. We're going to do that. And then maybe trend, you know, what needs to happen is translating that to the rest of life to be like, oh, well, business skills, that's cool. You know, uh, poetry, that's cool. You know, what, whatever the other things are, the economy, you know, social good, all those things. Um, but I'm curious if any of you have thoughts on what would be a good next step for how to address this issue. Keisha, you, you look like you're ready to say something. <laughs> um, I think that this generation of, you know, Generation Z, young millennials have so much power in how they use technology. Uh, so I think that it's just gotta be super uncool to do it any other way. Like we have to like build it into our culture in general so that, you know, when we're sharing music, when we're thinking that something's cool, we're not also diminishing a culture. We're not appropriating a culture. And then, you know, like cheapening it by, by not acknowledging or paying the people that create these things. Um, so I, I think that, you know, with technology, with the, the whole ways that, all the ways that we can link, all the ways that we can engage, that, you know, uh, the way we use uh, these, these platforms are really going to, in, in my opinion, make a significant difference. Um, because it's just, it's my hope that with all these digital conversations, with, you know, everyone becoming a lot more introspective about who they want to be as a human and who they want to be as a person, um, that people are going to be a lot more accountable to that. We're going to hold everyone accountable. And I think that if young people, <laughs> if younger people start holding themselves and their friends accountable for what it means to be anti-racist, for what it means to really respect Black artists, not just, you know, it's cool and it's fun, but understand it's hard work to make music. It's hard work to be a creative. It's hard work to, to get yourself out there and, and not just sort of dismissing it, but having a, a bigger conversation about what's consumed. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that technology really kind of speeds that process up for us so we don't have to wait, you know, several more decades to really see the change that needs to happen. Thank you. Three. Um, I guess a good example, uh, I, I don't know what it would happen is BMG, um, of all the statements from music industry, which I fell kind of deaf ears, BMG put out a statement that we're going to review our contracts. Now, I don't know what exactly it means, but they really decided we're going to look at our history and what we've done and how we got here. And did we do it fairly? And I'm surprised that BMG is the only group that even mentioned that, you know, where's Atlantic, where's universal group, you know, that has, has been tons and tons of money off of, of, of artists like Beyonce and all that, um, not look at their, their past contracts and reevaluate re them. Um, being honest about your industry and what you've done in your industry sector, like, as I said, Fortnite is a good example. Riot Games. Riot Games is a great example of, of this statement. We're going to give money, but internally, they have 
uh, uh, C-suite people saying racist stuff, right? I think the first step is to look in the mirror at your organization as a leader and like, how do we handle business? Are we being fair? I think that is the biggest action I think companies need to do before anybody really truly takes them serious because these kids can see through it. They can see BS and they call out BS, right? Um, and, they, and the companies think they can get away this time. I don't think these kids are going to let them get away this time. I mean, Starbucks is a great example. Like, oh, we're going to have pride stickers. Pride. Like, oh, but we're not going to have Black Lives Matters. I'm like, then you had this whole thing about the person getting arrested in your store. You had this all these videos made for diversity training. Did you pull that stunt? There's an internal problem at Starbucks. They put out external, all the stuff, what they're going to do, conversation about race. But externally, internally, they haven't changed. I mean... So I think that is the first action. It's sort of like, you got to look in your mirror. It's sort of like health, right? Like I'm going to my health. It's like, I can try to help people, but if I'm sick or I have problems, I can't do anything about externally. So those companies really need to take it seriously. I would like to add one more thing. I think that, you know, just with everything that Tariq said, that if it costs companies money on their bottom line to do racist things in a significant way, then they wouldn't. Like, it can't just be like this kumbaya, I want to be a good person and feel good about myself. That's the cost. That's to have a significant cost. And that's where I think, like, you know, technology and the youth and, like, how quickly this information gets out so we can stop buying products from these companies that do racist things. Like, yeah, you know, we, we the Starbucks pulled the stunt, but are we stopping you know, their bottom line, are we, is the bottom line being diminished? Riot, they pull up their stunt, that stunt, but are people stopping um, as it pertains to playing League of Legends and talking about it and so on and so forth. Like it, it needs to hurt in a, in a way that is, is fiscal because it seems like that's how most companies are motivated. Yeah, interesting. Um, I want to address that, but I just want to say uh, we've got about 15 minutes left and I want to give people an opportunity if they have questions to ask uh, our panelists, um, just post it in the chat. I will be curating questions, so not everyone will get answered necessarily, but put a Q and a, and a colon and then your question and then that'll help you find your questions if, if the chat gets filled up. Interestingly, Keisha, one of our um, uh, attendees, uh, Paul Zemek, talked about running a record label in South Africa. And I remember the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa used boycotts to pretty strong impact to really raise awareness and get companies to change, change their practices. Um, while we're waiting to see if any questions come in, I'm curious, either is that, I mean, Tariq mentioned this uh, one effort with, by BMG to review contracts. Are there any other best practices that you see right now? I mean, this is an incredible moment because Racism is nothing new, but the fact that so many people in America, including a lot of white people, are finally publicly all joining in the momentum around this, that there may be an opportunity to submit, make some more permanent, longer lasting changes. Um, are there any best practices that you're seeing emerge or is there anything that you're surprised you haven't seen that you would like to see um, while we're waiting to see if there's any questions? Do any of you have any, I mean, I mean, it's hard for me to ask you that question because all three of you have done so much in your own lives. You're like, yeah, we're doing the work here. Come on board. Let's go, people. <laughs> I don't know about these gentlemen, but for me, it's just too soon to tell. I, I don't, I, I'm not ready to get my hopes up. So I know it sounds like tough, but that's just me. So. Hey, you know what? I think we got to hear that. Keisha, we have to hear that. I mean, white people who are like, oh yeah, I'm, re I'm ready. I'm down for the cause. Let's go. Uh, also has to recognize that th this is a long period of, of, of pain and 
discrimination and oppression and some really messed up stuff happening. So it's not like, oh yeah, okay, thanks for posting Black Lives Matter. Thanks for the black box on your Instagram. I guess everyone's on board now. Uh, so I, I respect that, I appreciate that. Well, you know, for me, what I tell people and cover your ears if you're Christian, you know, when we did fuck the police with NWA over 30 years ago, ain't nobody listened to us until now. Like this was over 30 years ago we was talking about this and even going back to the 60s and the 50s and the 40s and 400 years people have been talking about this yelling and screaming and you know what i'm saying and just right now like oh so i don't have my hopes up because i could see this like i said us as humans just like we forgot about COVID. COVID ain't gone away it's going up it's still here people walk around like oh there's no pandemic and in a month from now People be walking around like this never happened too. So we gotta stay on it. And trust me, I'm staying on it. I'm going to these companies and I'm like, all that money that you like putting out there and you're advertising, look what we did. I don't want the look what we did money. I want the money that you're doing and let's go and give it to some inner city schools. Let's go give it to some inner city organization. Let's go give it to the small nonprofits that can't get the money because um, I, I saw a number. I think the top 5% of nonprofits get all the money, like 95% of the money goes to the top 5%, the March of Dimes, like, you know, Easter Seals, all these huge companies. And they use 20, 30, 40% of that money just to fund their companies. So the companies that are really out there doing the work and really trying to help these communities or getting no money, and that's got to change as well. On that note, I, I have to say, like, I had a joke. We have a joke going, like, a pool. Like, so when people get back to their sourdough recipes on Facebook, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm basically, I've told our station, I had a leadership, I call a leadership meeting, like, we need to address this, have a vision as our station's doing the work, but we want to have a cohesive mission. And I basically said, like, we can we can take time to do this, but when we come out, we can come out with a statement we haven't forgotten. We're gonna make sure that you haven't forgotten. Um, but yeah, like, I I'm not holding my breath. I know some people like optimistic, but I'm like, yeah, I've been there before. You know, I've been in marches, I've been in protests, I've been in sit-ins, I did all this stuff, and I'm like, it's something different, and that's maybe because of technology, right? So like, I think the social media has made these protests more effective. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like some of these companies are just sitting by like, yeah, I know this lasts about eight weeks. We can get back to normal again. So I don't know. So we do have a question, uh, a couple of questions here. Um, we're going to start with uh, Andrea Viariel Murphy. If you can come off mute and you can come on camera and ask your question, Andrea. Hi, yeah, thanks. Um, thank you so much for putting this on. I. I'm so glad I'm attending because I almost didn't because my schedule felt so busy, but it's nice to be part of a conversation on a larger platform. Um, we're, I work for a nonprofit in Denver called Youth on Record, and we're having these conversations every day. Um, we work with students ages 11 to 24, all around music. Um, and so my question is, for our older group, you know, the 18 to 24 young people, what advice would you give them in moving into this music and tech world, especially if they're not pursuing a four-year degree? Um, and Arabian, I love that you work with corporate com with companies to bring young people in. And so 
I definitely am going to look at who is in the Denver area to open up those doors that way. But I just wanted to see if you if you all had any other advice. Well, I'll start first, if you don't mind. Yeah. So Denver, I have family in Denver, um, in Inglewood and Cherry Creek and, you know, Denver, Colorado. So I could actually help you with the companies in Denver because I do a lot of stuff up there as well. But that's the key is, you know, one thing we didn't mention is, especially in the inner cities and the black communities, a lot of these kids aren't going to go to college. They weren't raised to go to college. They weren't bred to go to college. So you got to kind of figure out how can you get them a career now? Like, what can you do to help them get their career started, whether it's in music? And I often say this, less than 1% of the population in any field is ever going to excel, whether it's sports, whether it's going to be music, whether it's being an actor, you know, everybody wants to be something, but less than 1% are going to be the pros and actually have a successful career. You can have a living, but what we got to do is teach that guy who wants to be the next, I'm just going to say Chris Brown or Beyonce or whoever, that it may not work out for you, but here's 35 other things you can do in the music business that you can have a successful career. And I think that's the key is to talk to the people that you're dealing with now and the students and let them know that it may or may not work for you in this, but don't give up your hopes. If you love music, go and be a manager, be an agent, you know, get into soundtracks and, you know, doing stuff for film and television or whatever. There's so many other things to do. So you got to kind of like open it up to the whole possibility. And that's, that's you know, what I think. Oh. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, we are having those conversations in the like the, the traditional like management label, but the tech is kind of I've been attending these, but this just opened my eyes and we need to create a, a funnel and a channel that way for our youth also, um, because I, yeah, I agree with everything you just said. So thank you. Reach out and we'd love to help. The other thing. Um, it's important to give the opportunity, give the kids an opportunity to do like hands-on experience to get their hands dirty in these various fields. Uh, I hosted a team game jam with the library last year uh, where I got, I worked with a local group, Milltown Game Developers, where the kids love video games, got a chance to learn about coding, learn about storytelling, learn about making beats. And at the end of the two days, they made a game presented to their family and friends. And then the Milwaukee Bucks esports team gave away prizes. So they got to understand all the parts and making a video game. But more importantly, it got to work as a team to develop, take an idea they had in their head into an actual reality. And they learn all these different skills, understand, oh, this is what a green screen is. Oh, this is what a digital SLR is. Oh, I didn't know what coding does that. Oh, that's how you make beats. And they put it all together for one on a package. And those kids were just beaming, beaming like amazing. Their family, was, it was just an amazing sight to see. And I think, you know, give them tours, but they know there's programs out there that gives them opportunity to actually get their hands dirty. You know, I think it's, you know, it's one thing to show them, which is great. The other thing is to let them like get their hands dirty. It's also very valuable. With my kids, I teach them accountability because these uh, young people are, 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 they have to, they live in an information age. We're constantly having to learn new things. So uh, essentially the approach that I use is teaching kids how to learn and making them accountable to that process always. So if you have a smartphone in your hand and you're not constantly Googling information on how you can be the best at whatever it is that you wanna do, you're messing up. And I let kids know that, and that might sound harsh, but I think that it's incredibly important to prepare them for what they have to move forward 
you know, onto. Like, uh, you know, Arabian was saying, like, it's so few people that can excel in, in at, at things in a, in a huge way. So kids need to inform themselves. Young adults need to inform themselves. Like, there's no, like, hand-holding anymore. And before your university, is is nice and everything but not really required in this particular space awesome thank you i want to um thanks for your question uh andrea uh brian owens if you want to come off mute we'd love to have you come in with your great question yeah thanks for uh letting me grab this time here demetria earlier you said uh that everybody all of our guests here have some some programs and initiatives that they have either founded or support that are really creating change. I just want to know where uh, I can go to find out about those because I'd like to be able to to be a resource of any way if I can and just support. Yeah, cool. Do you guys want to share uh, where we can look stuff up? I'll try to post some stuff in the chat while we're talking. Um, I'm still like organizing my initiatives, but if you just, um, my, my websites are, um, www.gokeisha.com and uh, sugargamers.com where we're, we're putting uh, what we're going to do next. So um, I used to teach a class, uh, a summer school called Intro to Futurism. And uh, with everything going on this year, I am not in the schools, obviously. So I um, my next initiative is to figure out a digital strategy in order to still, you know, uh, engage the students in the way that I did. Um, I teach using the uh, Socratic method. So it's a little bit harder when you can't like see them and see the body language and pick up on like when these kids are, are kind of falling off. Um, so, you know, I, I've just been trying to reconfigure that, but yeah, but thank you. Uh, all those things. And then Dimitri uh, just posted it. Uh, you can learn more about 88.9 labs. And what we're, we have done at RadioMilwaukee.org slash labs. And just like Keisha, we, uh, I put together a proposal called COVID-19 and beyond because we had to pivot some of our programming, which is a lot of the programming is in person. So we're working on doing some interesting events and uh, launching a podcast series and interview series and doing virtual hosting, virtual pitches for underrepresented startups with, uh, I've been just building my connections out with people like Harlem Capital, Collab Capital, who are kind of the black VCs around the country to talk to, to the local startups here. So those are some of the things I am working on in this uh, pandemic. Yeah, and for me, it's just uh, www.innovatenext.com and it's I-N-O-V, the number eight and next.com. And, you know, basically, my mission and my company's mission is not only to do the things that we're doing in the communities, but we help other nonprofits and other companies. Like that's how I met Tariq. I wanted to go out there and help them with their initiative and get their conference, you know, to be the best it could be. And, and that's just my thing is wherever I can use my weight. And I understand because coming from NWA, that's how I get in with these CEOs because they grew up on my music and they think I'm cool. Even though I'm not cool, I'm a nerd. <laughs> But they think I'm cool, so I go hang out with them and play golf because I'm a good golfer too. So I think it's oh, I'm hanging out with NWA and I sneak in and I can get them, you know, to understand what's really going on. So I use that as a kind of trick to get in. So if anybody needs that help, call me up. Okay, so if you play golf, you call Arabian. You play tennis, you go to Tariq. 
Yeah. And if you want to play video games, all of you guys game, right? <laughs> Just got one minute. There were questions that came in, but I want to be respectful of our panelists' times. Any Anything you guys, the three of you, any of you are dying to say before we wrap up? This has been amazing, but I want to give you one more shot if you if you were just about to say something. Well, you know what? Let me say this really quick, Dimitri. If there are questions that people want to ask, why don't you just have them send them in and have them send them to us? And I would love to even answer them offline so that we get Well, I don't know if you're up for this, Arabian, but we have an app, the app.musictectonics.com, app where we're encouraging post-Wednesday uh, post conversations to take place. You just go to app.musictectonics.com. People want to post their questions there. If you guys are available to join, it's free to join the app. You can come and answer some questions. If not, I can shoot you some questions and then get your answers and post them in the app if you prefer. So um, so we could definitely keep that going. I'll, I'll keep track of these couple of, there were some good questions that came in. So thanks for that, Arabian. We'll, we'll send them over to you and, and get the answers. And those of you who asked questions or that are in the Wednesday audience today, go to app.musictectonics.com, sign up for a free account. You find out about our events. We keep conversations going. We post a news feed of relevant articles and so forth. And that wraps up this episode of the Music Tectonics Podcast. Thanks for listening. Just so you know, you were just listening to Tariq Moody from 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. Find out more about 88.9 Labs at radiomilwaukee.org slash labs. You also heard from Keisha Howard. You can learn more about her at sugargamers.com. And Arabian Prince has an incubator called Innovate Next which you can find online at innovatenext.com, but that's innovate with one N and the number eight, I-N-O-V-8, next.com. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Come to musictectonics.com to find out about our newsletter. If you sign up, you will find out about our weekly Wednesdays, which we do each Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, usually. And it includes usually a shorter panel with a chance for networking where you can actually meet other folks in the music tech space, connect with other innovators, whether you're in lockdown or hiding behind a mask, uh, you still get a chance to get business done with other innovators. So thanks so much for listening. Listening to Music Tectonics.